Okay, Alan, hello. Podcast. Got it. Uh, let, let, let's say um, podcast recording, the, the Examine yeah. Life. Alan here. Yeah. You're Alan. I'm Steve. Hello. Hello, Alan. I'm Steve. Vice versa. Whatever <laughs> fucking dimension you want to be in. All right, cool. <laughs> so uh, hope, hope, of- hopefully, hopefully by now this isn't the first podcast or you've, uh, I don't know, edit it somehow that this could be later on in the series but it, it might be because i wanted to start i want to start on, on like i want to start off strong i want to start mm-hmm. off strong so yeah. the, the topic that we agreed to talk about today was drugs addiction and and how that influences uh, an individual so my big question that yeah. i wrote is how can addiction ultimately shape you as an individual that's okay. that's my big question that I want to let, let's frame it as that. How how can addiction ultimately shape you as an as an individual? So I've got a, like a, a very very simple question for you, Alan, mm. which is: Are drugs bad? Well, I think that's a, it's an interesting question, and it's confusing the fuck out of me. So I think we should probably leave that as the thesis statement for the entire topic and. We'll work through that until the end because I have a whole bunch of stuff to say before we get to that kind of point. Okay. okay. So I, I, I want to say something to begin with. Okay. The, the whole reason, I've been meaning to say this for a long time, the whole reason why we're doing this podcast is because me and Steve-O, we kind of have these conversations anyway. We, we sort of chat on WhatsApp. We leave voice messages to each other. If we're having a good time or a bad time, we kind of give feedback to each other. We kind of help each other out, give each other some philosophical kind of insight. And that kind of helps us get through the day. So it's good to have someone to have like a sounding board. It's kind of, it's good to have that alter ego kind of person to um, get you through things. So a cathartic kind of um, session. So we've kind of figured this podcast is going to be that kind of same system, but open to, you know, the rest of the world. It's an open platform. Anyone that wants to join in is welcome to join in. So it's kind of funny because a big problem that I had last year was through um, opiate addiction. And we're kind of starting this topic right now, straight back there again. And yeah. Well, I think this could be definitely could be podcast one. And I think that's a great mm. introduction. It's like, why does this podcast exist? It's like, it's you and me talking as always, but considering a listener and, and the idea is something that I'm really passionate about is sharing that wisdom that we mm. work so hard to attain with an audience. And I feel like mm. if I can do that, that's powerful to it. That's powerful for me. It's powerful for other people. The medium's mm. powerful because it's it's a very easy way to get out and, and expose lots of people with content. And then people that want to get on board, great. Uh, if people don't, mm. then that's totally fine. And um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I guess, you know, do you want to talk about this? Are we going to talk about it? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah, let's, let's let's let me start. So, I'm feeling a little bit nervous and awkward talking about this because it's such a personal, um, I don't know, you know, what would you call it? Social kind of no go zone. What's the word for that? Taboo. Taboo. It's a taboo. So, me, me, I've come to terms with it. I'm I'm quite comfortable with my personality and who I am, but um, understandably, fucking. If I'm, if I'm throwing this to the outside world, you know, anyone can can look at it and judge me however they want, like I really care, but I don't really care about that. So if I can help anyone through my my discourse, my explanation of, of my experiences, that would be probably the main the main aim for what I'm doing, you know. 
I, I'm suffering through it at the moment. So the, the funny thing is, uh, for about for about a year and a half, I went through a pretty chronic opiate addiction, and um, I, I used Steve as like a sounding board. I, I wasn't sort of whinging to Steve, saying I'm suffering, I'm having a hard time. Can you help me through it? I was giving Steve like this um, this rundown of of what I was going through. It's like saying this is what an opiate addiction or a, someone someone that's on an opioid addiction goes through you know withdrawals the highs the lows the goods the bads and i never asked steve for feedback i just said just listen to what i have to say because it's kind of interesting i always knew i was going to beat it but i did beat it i beat it for about three months and that was a pretty trying time which we can go back through later um and then about about two months ago the, the problem with my job is that it's kind of it's, it's, a, it's a labor highly kind of um labor intensive job and i hurt myself a lot and now the current the current atmosphere when it comes to like medical medical care um they don't supply sort of medication which helps with pain relief so i have to go out and source um my own kinds of pain relief so i go out and i have to go find a dealer i have to go find someone that will sell me opiates and it turns out that um uh kind of when you get hooked on a dealer it's just like this never-ending kind of cycle that you kind of get caught into so you you initially go there to get pain relief because i've got sore back sore whatever i want to go there just to make sure i can be comfortable and as soon as you get that one you go down this rabbit hole and you can't get out of it again and it's kind of this really when you're in it you feel like you're in a lot of control but when when you run out of the drug, you go through this chronic withdrawal situation and that is kind of like hell on earth. And that's kind of where I've been for the past three days. So that's why I've kind of decided to, to start this podcast and this topic because I'm on like day three. So I'm still suffering from the withdrawal effects of opiate withdrawals, but I'm kind of at this point now that I can kind of function enough to talk, hopefully lucid enough about it. Mm. Okay. That's a great explanation. So let me ask you this. So when was the last time they actually took opioids? Oh, not yesterday, not the day before, but the day before that. So that today okay. is day three without. And it was only only 20 milligrams. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting situation. Uh, and the, 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 the worst part about that is I had this other friend who was trying to get me off the opioids. And by doing that, he was giving me dexamphetamines to try and get me off it. And so I was using the dexamphetamines to get off the opioids. At the same time, I was getting addicted to the, the dexamphetamines, which took me on another path of addiction. So I'm running down these two paths of an amphetamine addiction, an opioid addiction. I'd cut one off, continue on the other, bring one back on. And then, as I said, on whatever day it was, Thursday, Wednesday last week, I ran out of both. So I, I hit this fucking wall of like uh, apathy, apathy. Pretty much for the past two and a half days, I slept. I slept nonstop. So I pretty, I pretty much had two and a half days of Superman. I pretty much could do anything mentally. I think, I think I can do anything. I think I have superhuman abilities. But then for those three days when you have no more and you crash. You've got three days of immobility and you can't do a single thing. I just literally slept for three fucking days. It was, yeah, pretty debilitating. All right. Well, can, can I ask you this? So if there's probably a lot of people out there that are like me, they're quite ignorant to the types of drugs that you can take that are 
basically mm. mesirinu, um, you know, what, what is it that you normally take? Uh, what is that people get addicted to? Why do people get addicted to them? Um, what, is the, what is the main drug that people take um, that's meant to be used for uh, pain relief, but it's also associated, it's also causes addiction to the euphoria? So I know there's two questions there. So let's start with the first that's, one. That's, 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 that that's, that's the opiates. The, the opiates is the main thing. And there's like, there's this long history of opioid use through, through what, opium, heroin, codeine or whatever. I say in my, in my early 20s, like as you said, we're almost 40 now. I had a severe operation in my early 20s and I got hooked on, on codeine. I, I kind of kicked that about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. So for 10 years, I've been totally clean, haven't touched any drugs at all. So what was the name it of that drug? Sorry, it was codeine. 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 Okay. And that's a type of like the most. It's the most mildest form of um, opioid. So okay, you get codeine, you. tramadol, um, oxycontin, andone, and morphine, morphine, and then heroin. So I haven't touched heroin, but that's a whole different ball ball ballpark. But um, I, I I think my drug addiction did start early in my twenties, just through an accident that I had. And um, as any twenty year old would do, they would drink, smoke pot, that kind of stuff. And I kind of just used. I used codeine to try and wean myself off pot at the same time, but um, it ended up being its own vicious cycle. Now, now the problem is they've got Big Pharma. I forget who they're called, but Big Pharma um, in the 1960s, no, 1996 or whatever, produced OxyContin as like this miracle drug which could um, cure all pain but would not cause addiction because of the slow, slow release. Now it's a big thing throughout the industry. Most people know about it. And um, all the doctors are jumping on the bandwagon. But 10 years ago, you can go to a doctor. They would subscribe, prescribe this particular medication. Now you go in there, they won't give you anything. They, will, they, they won't touch anything opioid-based. So I have to go to someone in the black market and find it myself. Where the kind of, the kind of pain that I'm going through, the medication that the doctors are prescribing me do not, does not you know, cover the pain that I'm going through. So I have to... Get that extra step. Get the, you know, the strong painkiller just to just to fix the pain that I've got. But the problem is the drugs are so strong that you take one and you're like, well, why don't I just take five? Because then I'll feel high, you know. So that's the big difference. So it's is it it's I imagine it's doing two things to you at once. You're taking the medication and it's relieving you of the pain, but it's also giving you euphoria, correct? Euphoria, yeah, yeah. Godlike, godlike feelings. Like you're, you can do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really good when you're doing it. Yeah. The, 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 the problem is that the, I, I study a lot of philosophy and ethics and the more I read about like Socrates and things like that, you know, most people look at the stuff that I'm doing now and saying, you know, this is stupid. You're an idiot. Why would you even bother? You're going to get stuck in this rabbit hole and you're never going to get, get out again kind of thing. But um, yeah, I've kind of fallen into that trap and it's, it's a bit hard to get out of. So, mm. but I imagine that when you when you take those substances, when anyone takes any kind of pleasurable chemical substances, it puts you in a state of mind of immense pleasure, immense dopamine. Um, mm. And once your brain has found a way to get to that spot, and then you you're not in that spot, you know, it's pretty obvious that your brain will want to be want to experience that again. 
right? Withdrawals is the problem. So when you've got them, everything's fine. As soon as you haven't got them, that's when the world ends, you know, apathy, antipathy, you know, just, you just, as I said, sleep for three days. I've, I've been okay. As I said, as I said to you, three, three or four months ago, I got off them and I was fine. I got off them pretty, pretty well. But at that point, I was getting to a point of like, I wouldn't say suicidal thoughts, but I was thinking like, I'm not an aggressive person. I'm very passive, but I was thinking aggressive thoughts. I was thinking, what's the world about? Anything negative was really coming through. Now, now I'm at a point where I'm not that deep into it, but when I get the withdrawal effects, I can kind of deal with it as long as you just leave me alone, let me lay down for two or three days, I'll get through it and everything's going to be okay. So I need to, I need to know, you know, stop fucking now kind of thing. That's what I have to do or find another way to resolve the problem. But if someone like me, I've never taken any of those type of pain relief kind of drugs. Mm. If I take Oxycontin, for example, um, am I, you know, and and I am basically high for 24 hours Am I going to experience the same level of withdrawals that you're t- speaking about? Or no. Is that something that takes time? No. Okay. Takes time. Takes time. I'll probably, I, I'm not sure, but I'll probably feel it straight away. I reckon, you know, my mind will be like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Kind of thing. Because my mind knows the pattern that I've sort of, sort of, you know, planted in myself. You, you could take it for a day and then leave it alone and never touch it again. Me personally, you give it to me once. I need to go. Hey, where 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 that go again? Now I remember you, it's like an old girlfriend. I forgot all about you. I miss you again, kind of thing. Yeah. You know? The pining, well, the pining begins. Well, it's, it's it sounds like two things are happening, right? There's a biological, physiological type of reaction with the you know with the withdrawals, um, and then there's Definitely. also you know a psychological um, addiction where your brain, with even without your body wanting to go there, your brain says, I remember this, this was a pleasurable experience. How about we do it again? Mm. It's kind of like, it, it sort of gives me this ability to do anything. Like I could probably go for three or four days without sleeping. I could sit there. I'm very artistic. I try to be artistic. So I could sit there, read, draw. I do uni. So I do a bit of uni work. Everything's kind of possible. So I kind of have that extra bit of energy to sort of c- commit to doing things. But the problem is, it's oh, I can't I can't think of a Greek metaphor for it, but it's almost like uh, the more you do it, the better you feel, and you keep on going to this rabbit hole. But the, the deeper you get, the tighter it gets, and the harder it is to get out. You know, so I've kind of been lucky that with my dealer, she's only been she's only like giving me enough to get me through a week, and then I've had to get off it for a week. So I've always had these withdrawal periods every two or three weeks. So that sucks. That's that's shit. That's hell on earth. But it's not like I've had a full two years worth of addiction being pumped into me and then all of a sudden, you know, cut clean kind of thing, you know. So, so if, if you could and she was able to supply the gear, would you I, just... If I could afford it. If I could afford it. Okay. Mm, it's expensive. That's the, other, that's the other problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you can afford it, you can't afford it. That's the problem. It is that expensive. So... Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, like for someone like myself, you know, I've had my share of addictions, maybe they're not as um, physically intense as those. Um, but I still feel like when you talk about your addiction, um, it scares me, you know, it really scares mm-hmm. me because you've mentioned like, the, you know, to use your words, like you said, it kind of gets into your soul. And like mm-hmm. you, I don't know, it's, it's like you enter a world mm-hmm. and you become all those re- pleasure receptors become activated and you, you know, 
you know, how pleasurable that is. It's kind of like you are, I know you're in this euphoria bliss, um, but if it's, it's kind of, if you've never taken those drugs before, you've never experienced that. Um, mm. But it just seems like you, such you, a powerful. You, you can go back. You can go back into whatever I've told you in the past. I'm happy for you to digress. Whatever I said. Yeah. Well, I guess my question is. is like it's it's, it's it's kind of scary for it's really scary for me. And when you when you've told me about that, because I feel like mm. is it is it better like for someone like me to never have taken uh, that level yes. of you yes. know of hundred percent. Don't then, take it. Never. No one should ever take it. What, Not to the then, degree that I have. But then, what have you if you're gained? In, if, you're, if you're if you're if you're in pain and the doctor prescribes it, do what the doctor says. Do that, but don't go beyond that. It's not worth it. As a, okay, so I I I'm a little bit of a scoundrel. So as I said, the dealer wasn't giving me enough of what I needed. So I thought, I know, I'll go to rehab and I'll go and you know get some drugs from them and they'll keep me going. Free drugs all the time. That sounds like fun. So I went and did that. But what they did was. Instead of me having the choice of, you know, take a couple of pills here, a couple of pills there, we'd, uh, come down a little bit, go back up again. What they did is they give you this injection called a, a depot where you're high 24 hours a day. It's not like a high, it's like a pseudo high, a quasi high where you don't really feel the high, but you feel a little bit altered and you're always kind of a bit out of it. 24 hours a day, 48 hours, you know, you know seven days a week and i'm just like i can't handle this this isn't my life i can't deal with this so i just went back to the doctor and said i can't do this sorry i i need i need that sort of reprieve from from the high otherwise yeah my my mind doesn't function properly i, t- I turn into a full-blown drug addict and that's not i don't want to criticize anyone but that's not kind of what i am I, i'm a recreational user and yeah i don't know it's a weird weird topic there yeah but when you went when the the, the times that you spoke uh, about- hang on. That, that's what that's what i said about, hang on so when i said i went to the rehab center the first thing the doctor said is do you find the drug is calling to you and i said that's the first thing that i thought and i remember saying it to someone years ago i said i feel like the drug's calling to me and the guy turned around and said that sounds like the sirens out of odysseus you know like there's there's these sirens calling out to me and i can I could almost like a GPS pinpoint to the map where my dealer is waiting for this fucking blip to hit me when I know it's not going to happen. It's just this anxiety of when's it going to come, and it it hurts. What, what is? Painful. How would you describe like that's pretty scary? Um, the calling because I I've felt that at some level. So what is that calling to? Can you explain to people that never have had an addiction like that? What would you? How would you explain in a little bit more detail? What is that calling? Is it is it for you to it's be like, satiated or? It's, it's like you've got this girl that you liked and you just send her a text message and you expect that text message back straight away, but she never replies. And you're sitting there and for every second, it feels like an hour is gone. Every other second, it sounds like 10 hours is gone. And you're just sitting there and it's just, it's eternity, waiting for eternity. And if you don't get it for days and days, it's, yeah, it's probably, you know, phys- uh, you know hell on earth kind of thing. Yeah. But is that the calling to you or is that the, the time and space that in between that you're waiting for, you know, you're in anticipation and the anticipation is not being rewarded? Bit of both. It's okay. calling to you because you, you need it. So you want it. It's like come and get it. But if no one's there to offer it, you can't get it, can you? It's When I used to smoke cigarettes, it'd be just like you have a ringing in your head. You'd be constantly like mm. 
have it smoke a cigarette, smoke a cigarette, smoke a cigarette. And it's like, where do these thoughts come from? And then what I kind of figured out it was, it was just my body, you know, the receptors, nicotine receptors are speaking, they're generating that desire mm. uh, in the body. Mm-hmm. It's, it's manifesting in, in thoughts, right? But it, it comes from yeah. the body and then as a physiological thoughts. response, right? And then it, be, it manifests as yeah. a thought. As neurotransmitters in your brain, which are, you know, adapted to those kinds of chemicals. Yeah. That's pretty powerful stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff. And like, uh, and the things that I've read about it, drug addiction or, or any type of addiction, like, you know, I know I started off kind of like jokingly, like, are drugs bad? Because, you know, we've spoken a lot about ethics lately, but, um, you know, we can, we can easily say, or easily condemn drugs, but, you know, and point the finger at drugs, but obviously addiction is everywhere and addiction, um, mm. everybody deals with addiction at some level. Well, I think most mm. people do. And it's, it's kind of, mm, I guess, depending on their psychology and their physiology, depending on how much it controls um, their day-to-day habits, behaviors, thoughts, and uh, if they can control it or if it controls them. Mm. But like, tell me more about the rehab. Like I felt like when you spoke about the rehab, it's like, they give you a, an injection it's like, okay, you're coming off the drugs. We'll give you an injection to stop you from wanting um, these opioids, but you're going to feel whacked out and, and kind of weird and out of it. And it, I felt mm. like when you explained it, that the re, re the drugs in rehab substitute drugs are actually worse than the, like, tell mm. me about that. Like, how do you feel about I think, that? I think it can be. Well, I, I want to, I want to preface it first for the fact that, okay, I am a drug addict or I was a drug addict at the moment. I am a drug addict, but there is, you know, I got off, I got off the drugs pretty easily. I did it myself and I was clean, but it wasn't until I hurt myself severely that I went to the doctor and I said, can I get some painkillers? And they said, Oh, just go home and take some Panadol. I said, I'm overdosing on Panadol. I'm only going to do more damage. I'll take some ibuprofen. I'm overdosing on that. It's only going to do more damage. So then I'm like, what's my last option? I better go back to the dealer that I used to go to kind of thing. So uh, I feel like, I feel like the system's kind of driving me into it. I feel like the system could almost organize it a bit better. You know, if the system could, um, for one, you know, just, just give me one prescription, go to the, go to the pharmacist one day, get one pill, get that pain out of my system. I'll be, I'll be fine. That's all I fucking need. But um, my, 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 as you know, my work is highly, highly in, uh, strenuous, uh, you know, labor intensive, heavy lifting. I come home from work some days, I can barely walk. I go to the doctor and they don't want to hear two bits of it because they're behind the desk tickling fucking uh, a keyboard all fucking day. So no one, no one has the empathy for what I'm going through. Um, say, sorry, state your question again. I was talking about the re- rehabilitation and the drugs that they're giving you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the, pro- the problem with that was, um, <sighs> Okay, so the dealer that I go through and probably the amount of money that I have, I can't afford to get drugs all the time. And even if I could, I wouldn't take it all the time. You know, I'd probably take it one day, you know, enjoy that, you know, draw, play guitar, do family shit, get out about, have some fun, live life like I'm the happiest man on the planet. The next day I'd be like, I don't need it today. Today's the day off. Today's the day that I can uh recover still feel okay because i know i've still got some in the cupboard i'm not going to withdraw then the next day i'll get back on it but the system that they've got now the current model that they've got for rehabilitating at least oxycontin addicts like myself is to give you a depot which will slowly release 
the buprenorphine into your system for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that isn't the state that I'm at. I'm not a 24 hour a day drug addict. I don't need to feel high all the time. And when they're doing that to me, it sort of, it takes away from me that, that moment of clarity that I get the next day that sort of makes me realize yesterday wasn't kind of real. Today kind of is, I can see the duality between what I'm doing. So uh, I think for me, I need, I need to have the opposites to sort of, you need to have the lows to have the highs. So if I don't have the mix, I don't know where I'm at and I'm kind of getting confused and lost. And that's, that's a big problem that I sort of, sort of get from it. I try to explain that to them, but they, you know, they're so institutionalized. They're like, no, this is the only way to do it. So I'm like, I give up. I can't do this. So I left and I quit on my own accord. From that moment, I, I walked out. I didn't take it ever again. That was four, four months ago, maybe. And then the pain, the pain hit me again. And then, yeah called the old number again so mm. yeah that's that's interesting um i don't know I, I feel like your body and your mind might need a break you know if, if you're taking something and it's kind of like well and then you then maybe what the body does it kind of resets and it kind of go, and it starts you know as you said the sirens call again and it's like okay um i'm ready again but you mm. have that that clarity no no this time it was actually because i hurt myself I only called the doctor, the, the dealer this time because I hurt myself. I hurt myself. I went to the doctor. I said, I'm in so much pain. I need some you know, relief. And they just said, take some under, you know, over the counter painkiller. I said, I've been doing that. It doesn't work. So I was in so much stress uh, that I needed to call someone to get me out of trouble, you know? Right. And I know you, you know, it's kind of skimped and skirted around the, exactly what you do but would you mind telling the listeners exactly what you do in day-to-day basis that um why you put so much pressure on your body what is, what is you what is your actual trade job okay so floor coverings i like carpet so um it's, it's kind of bearable if i've got someone to give me a hand so laying, laying carpet in someone's house if you've got someone to, to share the load you can have someone help you carry it in but for the past three or four months um there's been like a labor shortage so i've been having to do it by myself and sometimes you get some very heavy rolls of carpet um one example i've told everyone is there was this huge roll on the back of the cart on the truck and i i went to test lift it and when i went and test lifted it i went holy shit i can't lift that you know literally my mind said you cannot fucking lift that so i went gotta do it anyway so i just went grabbed it off the truck couldn't do it but i did it anyway i walked up, you know, three flights of stairs with this roller carpet that I could not carry, dropped it down, hit the ground. Uh, didn't really feel it until I started getting into work. And then um, when I started working, I'm fucking almost it broke out in tears. I called my wife. I said, can I quit this job? I can't handle this shit anymore. She's like, of course you can quit, honey. It's okay. But I'm like, I can't let anyone down. So I just keep on going. So that's the other point of my argument here. Yeah, I am a drug addict at the moment. You know, I'm... I'm if I get off it, I'm going to deny. I want to say I've beaten it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a high-functioning drug addict. As you can see, I'm here. Um, I got to work every day. I probably work harder than most. I guarantee I work harder than most people that I know. You know, I have high, high, high responsibilities. I, I don't let people down. I'm, I'm highly ethical. Um, I'm, I'm a vegan for one thing. So, you know, that's, that's one thing which I consider is balances out these two sides of like bad and good kind of thing i don't feel like i'm doing anyone harm in too much of a way yeah i can see the harm that i'm causing by taking drugs the cost of money the the, the reflection on my my family my relationships but um the, the problem is 
there's, there's one level that I need to have the painkillers. But the other problem is this kind of painkiller is a rabbit hole. And once you kind of get hooked onto it, you get sucked all the way down in, into the bottom. So that's the problem. So if it what, wasn't so addictive. Well, let me ask you this then. Like, um, what does it take away from you? Um, it's a really hard situation because when you've got it, mm, that, that's, a, that's a really, really complicated one. Because when you've got it, I'd sort of say the first day or two, you kind of feel like Superman. And if, you, if you're observant enough, and I think I'm pretty observant, my day one, day two, yeah, you're doing pretty well. Way, yeah, uh, euphoria, feel good. Day three, day four, you start to feel like you're a little bit out of touch with reality. Like you think things aren't quite going so well. Uh, day four, day five, maybe two weeks, everything goes normal. Everything's great. You wake up, you're like, I don't need to take this. An hour later, fuck it, I'll just take one. It gets you through the day. But I think maybe three weeks and then this is probably as far as I've gotten, it gets cut off. So I go through withdrawals. So I think I'm lucky that I don't have to go past that three-week period. But those, those three-day withdrawals is, at the moment, as I said, I haven't been taking it too long. It's just a matter of fucking leave me alone. I'm a very passive person. I won't abuse anyone. If my wife goes off at me, I'm just like, you know, just leave me alone. I'm like, I might get teary or whatever. I'll go lay down as long as you give me a chance to relax. But um, I feel like if someone was on it for more than a year, six months, a year, two years, I'm really worried about how hard, you know, that habit that you formed would be to be able to break. I think it would be so ingrained in your mind that this would be part of your life. It's almost like food. You become this has become a, a, a natural, essential part of life. And I can see how it would be a very difficult thing to sort of break through, especially if someone's not so like philosophically sort of inclined. Like for me personally, I'm very philosophical. So as we've spoken about before, when I've gone through, through withdrawal symptoms and I felt sorry about myself, I've been there crying, thinking how poor me kind of thing, I've stopped. I've read a book about the Holocaust and I thought, hang on, these guys fucking you know they lost their whole family their, their children their, their entire family's been wiped out uh by you know someone else some other agent has caused suffering upon them i'm here crying for a self-inflicted you know pleasure seeking adventure uh how dare i kind of you know act like that so for, you know for that 10 minutes i'm like get over myself but that was only for 10 minutes and then i got to sort of do it again for three days for three days that's all it was so at the moment so as i said i'm I'm, I'm on day three of withdrawals, so I'm suffering pretty bad, but I hope I'm seeming like I'm pretty coherent and, and lucid, you know? Yeah, you know, you sound clear, co um, lucid, coherent, um, I'd, I'd say relatively when educated. This, when we hang up on this, I might have a breakdown, you know? I got homework to do for uni, and I'll probably go lay down and go, oh, I can't do it, it's too hard, life's too hard, oh, shit, you know? But then, you know, my, my, my philosophical mind will say, you know, wake up, you know? It's just a lot of crap. Well, to connect that, I don't want to. I don't want to make this about me, but I'll just share this experience. And that Go you ahead. know that, Let's, yeah, no, no, no. Let's make it about each other. Okay. Well, you know, you know that I recently quit drinking alcohol. It's been about a year. Um, I think I had Re one recently. Jesus. Yeah, it's been one. I've had one drinking session. I think it was about January, March, March. Mm. I, you know, I had some a couple of drinks in January, and one of the reasons why I stopped was I felt like. It was just taking away, like drinking is not something you can do and work. 
that when you drink alcohol, you sort of need to sit there mm. out of your work time, mm. you know, and then and then indulge into something. You're getting lots of pleasure and you feel good. And then it's like it can last for, you know, it can be a three hour kind of thing, or it could be an eight hour, twelve hour session. Twelve, man, twenty four. Yeah, man. and for a lot of people, it is twenty four hours. Like people don't come home for two I've days. Done yeah, I've done that. And it's it's crazy. Like, and even um, you know, we're don't do from, it anymore. Yeah, we're both from Australia. It's pretty pretty common um, for men to go on holidays and just drink every day. And that's what I you mm. know used to do. Even when I'd go on holidays and travel, like I would drink um, drink most afternoons and just get a nice beer buzz on, um, but still indulge um, and then pay for it a little bit, but maintain it. But I felt like those big drinking sessions that I wasn't doing like really heavily that often, maybe once every three weeks, they still took a day, you know, a drinking session on Friday, destroyed my Saturday, destroyed my Sunday, destroyed my uh, mental state, Monday, Tuesday, mm. Wednesday. And mm. I just felt like, you know, I'd wake up and I'd be hungover and, you know, my wife and her, my stepson and not being able to give my energy. I just felt so, mm. um, yeah. Not, I disappointed in myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like what I was giving, giving to it and then returning was just, just not worth it. You know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. and I'm not saying that people shouldn't enjoy a drink. You know, if you find the right you know, level of, yeah, drinking alcohol, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like opioids would be a next, like, you know, tell me about the darkness of opioids. Tell me about the, you know, the, the like you know, the, the real, like, is it depression? Um, what are the mental states that you get into in those, in those withdrawals? What's the real down and like down and dirty grittiness that you feel for for as long as you feel? So, so if you want to go back to your question about how does it change an individual, um, uh, philosophically minded. So I read a lot about the, the, the Stoics and uh, the Skeptics, Socrates, and any any particular philosopher. So. When I'm going through a hard time, I try and sort of revert back to those guys and try and sort of realize that, you know, life is what you make it. And as we've always said, is like you reframe your mindset. If you're suffering, reframe it, go. I might be hurting right now, but I'm not in Afghanistan. I'm not in Yemen. I'm not hungry. Nothing else is a problem. Everything that's happening to me right now is self-inflicted and it's self-inflicted due because I'm a selfish, you know, uh, hedonist who wants to, to, to gain pleasure. Now that the, the pleasure's gone, now I'm having a fucking, you know, pity party, hissy fit, I can't handle it. So I feel like to be the virtuous man, I shouldn't be taking the drugs in the first place, but okay, pain, I kind of have to. But um, <sighs> how it changed me was I feel like, because as I said, I'm back on it now, I've had these withdrawal effects. The withdrawal effects I've had for the past three days, they've kind of been... They've kind of been like this empty kind of just, I need time, just leave me alone. I need time to recover. I don't feel emotional. I know I'm going to get through this. That's the most important thing. You know, everything will end. This this too will end, the ancient Persian proverb. This too will end. And I think I've programmed myself through enough withdrawing and suffering to realise that. So I haven't had that, you know, really antipathetic, angry fucking the world's against me you know go out slaughter everyone kind of mindset kind of thing the world's there's eight billion people out there why do i matter but back when i was um in the middle of my initial drug habit when i'd have a withdrawal session it was yeah really psychologically scarring and damaging i 
you know, I just was really apathetic about everything, antipathetic about everything. I'd be sitting in my lounge back here looking at it, the trees. It was such a beautiful sight. And I just feel like, what's the world about? It's like, it's like this suo, pseudo suicidal kind of ethic. You know, I have a family, I have friends, so I'll never consider suicide because I feel like I have a responsibility to, responsibility to them and the, the community around me. But in your mind, there's always, always like, you can't live without this drug, you know, without this drug, you can't get by. So what's the point of it all? So, but I did realize over time with your help, you know, after about a week or two, my mind clicked back and went, my mind was just tricking me. My mind was lying to me, telling me that I needed the drug to survive. Now that I've been off it for long enough that it's out of my system, I'm just as happy. I'm just as good as I was without the drug. So after two, two weeks, three weeks without it, everything goes back to normal. And it's like, why did I take those drugs in the first place? So I do know, I do know now, I've learned this lesson that I don't need the drugs in the exception of pain. But the problem is, as I said, the domino effect of when the pain comes on, the doctors are now, you know, being told not to prescribe opiates no matter what. So I've got to go to a dealer, find opiates to get rid of my pain. And as soon as that happens, domino effect fucking happens. So I need to find a new way of dealing with that. Yeah. Okay. That's powerful stuff. I, I can really appreciate you talking about reframing. Cause I think that, you know, when I've dealt with situations that are, are painful, um, reframing it obviously is, is what empowers us to, to look at um, how can we learn, grow from that experience? Um, how much can we control? How much do we just have to accept? Um, mm. You know, what can we, what well, can we reflect? Epic tears, right? man. Epic tears. Yeah. All we have control is over um, our reaction to things. Yeah, it's, it's the it, control we have. Exactly. And it takes you from, you know, it stops you from being a, um, a victim, you know, and it's, it's something yeah, I'm trying yeah. to teach my stepson at the moment. Like we're playing Mario Kart, we're playing um, a Nintendo Switch and he's he's always, uh, the, when he loses, he just gets so angry, you know, like, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, you know he's mm-hmm. only nine years old and it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, well, you can, you can, you know, he's saying, oh, this happened to me, this happened to me. And it's like, I know, don't be the victim. This is the game. Mm-hmm. Win some, mm-hmm. you lose some trying to teach him mm. the good sportsmanship. Um, but reframing is, I think, such an important ability, you know, like whether mm. it's a breakup and it's, I don't know, but a part of reframing as well is for me is is taking an element of responsibility, you know, like being mm. real about cool. it too. It's like, you know, how much of this was my was my own doing? How much of it was, mm. a, was something I couldn't control? And, 100%. And then you might sort of make peace with that, right? It's almost, it's almost like I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm having a pity party because I can't get drugs. The people in Africa are still living their day-to-day life, drinking dirty water, eating dirt for a living. So how dare I complain, you know? It's yeah. Like, and then you've, Be you know, grateful you've, for what you've got. Exactly. And you've got access to a great health system. You've got access to food, clothing, shelter, yeah. you, know, st- st- you know, a strong Everything. Uh, work stability. You've got good work ethics. You've got a strong brain. Um, you're an adult, so you can deal with it. But like, you never really answered my question. Like, you know, does, do you get, you know, in those points where you need to reframe it? Is there some really now? Is there still um, dark depression? Is it how gritty is it, or you just do you feel really apathetic? Like, um... no, I just feel lack of energy at the moment. So okay. as I said before, before when the, the first two or three phases that I went through the opiate drug abuse withdrawals it was it was antipathetic it was kind of like 
poor me, why me, screw the world, fuck everyone else, I should run away, whatever, you know. Now it's just like I've been through this before. I've experienced it. I know it's not going to last long. I just got to wait these three days out. As long as I've got these three days, I'll be okay. But for the problem, it's, it's Christmas time, so I'm lucky I've got three days off. I can just go lay down and have three days sleep. But naturally, normally, um, on those three days, I have to go to work. I have to go and, you know, lay a house full of carpet for, for, for 10 hour days and going through that, that is like Dante's hell. That's the epitome of hell going through that. You know, you're, you're suffering, you're suffering like fucking shit in general. All I need to do is sleep, but no, I've got to work harder than you can ever imagine, you know, and I still do it. I still get through it because I, I, I reflect, I go, I'm not in the Holocaust. I'm not in world war two. I'm not in the trenches. I'm not, you know, in some battlefield, I'm not starving. I'm not fighting for my family. I'm not fighting for my life. Everything's okay. I can walk off at any moment. I live in Australia. So that, that's one point. I live in heaven. So everything is great. If I'm at a job, everything falls apart. I can just go, done, going home, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, 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 kind of, that's kind of what saves me because I realize I'm not committed to anything. I can pull yeah. that. Okay, then you've got a way out. Well, I guess mm. like if that, like looking this to our big question again, like, you know, how does addiction or dealing with the highs and lows of addiction shape you as an individual? Like surely, like if I had a kid, which I do, but if, if, if my child was like 18 years old and they said to me, dad, should I take drugs or should I, how do I, you know, how do I deal with addictions? You know, I'd probably say the same thing you are as well, like you did as well. It's like avoid them if you can. But on the other hand, the reality is, is that dealing through that pain and suffering, like there's definitely suffering, whether it's self-inflicted or not, at some mm. level, like I hate to say it because like, you know, it, it, it would be, um, I wouldn't want to encourage young people to take drugs. But at the same time, like there is something very character building about taking drugs. Mm. There's something, mm. you know, it forces you to, to grow in ways and it, not everyone has the ability to look through it philosophically and to overcome it. But if you can face the fire, the pain and the suffering and then come out from it with your awareness, yes, Mm -hmm. then you you can grow from it. Um, Then I think there's something really powerful there. Do you need to experience that to grow as a person? Obviously not. Um, Do we want to advocate for young people to take drugs? Obviously not. That's not what we're saying, right? Um, I wouldn't want to encourage anyone to do that. But the reality is, is that, Right. But the reality is that people are going to be people. Young people are going to be experimental. It's part of our brains to be experimental. And young kids are going to take drugs. And some of mm. those kids, um, for whatever reason, you know, whatever reason, there's a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, mm. Some of those kids are going to get addicted to drugs at some level and they're going to have to deal with it. Now, mm. I, I do feel like there's the ones that do walk out of, on the other end. And I've got a good friend of mine. She's 33 years old. She lives in Malta. And she just um, got clean from cocaine and alcohol. She's 600, she's over 600 days clean. And her, like her character um, and her reflection, and I speak to her regularly, it's just amazing ref- reflection and insights. Um, mm. But, you know, what do you think about that? Is there any other way? Like, you know, these experiences have shaped who you are. They've given you an immense understanding and awareness of the world and given mm. you what I hear as well is gratitude um, for what you've I think, got. I think I've had that for a long time. I've, I've had it for a long time, but having to go through what I've had to go through has also made it more real, more tangible. 
So, so I can sit there and read books in philosophy or read books on war and horror and all this kind of crap that's happened to people. And I can learn all that stuff and I can have a basic understanding of, of what that is. And I can build my own scaffolding on what I think that really means. And I think that's enough. I think that's good. But um, if, if you're lucky or as unlucky as I am to have gone through addiction and withdrawals, you learn that next level. And But the difference is, you know, there are people out there that will get addicted to drugs like me, but then they won't go to work. They won't look after their family. They won't go and they won't do everything that they're obliged to do. They won't be a dutiful citizen. If if they're expected to do something, they just won't do it because they got I've got drug time. You know, me personally, you know, Everything else comes first. Drugs is peripheral. I'll take the drugs to help me get through everything else. I don't think most people are like that. I think most people will fall into the 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 world, the whirlpool of um, you know, just drugs, and they'll they'll sink. That's my problem. I don't think people have the willpower to to reflect. I've got this kind of Socratic method in my head, which is always questioning myself: Am I right? Am I wrong? And it, and it just keeps on going down this this mirror 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 image kind of what do you call it? I can't think of the word. Anyway, it just keeps on reflecting on itself. And I'm always questioning why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm always trying to find a way out of it, but it just takes time. And I know I'll, I'll always get there, but I just need to find different different paths. At the, at the moment, I know the reason, the only reason to get out of my current drug addiction is to quit my job because that's what has drawn me back to getting the drugs. That's the only reason why I need it. As I said, you, you told me, you know, drug, you feel, you feel better on drugs. You feel better off drugs than you do on drugs. You feel better off drugs than you do on drugs. It's just, it's constant. You're always cool on drugs. You might do this, but then you go like this and that's not worth it. It's not cool. Not cool. It's just better to be in control. Yeah. There is always a price to pay. Like, unfortunately, there's a price to pay. So it goes back to the skeptic, you know, just kind of being, you know, content to try and be content all the time try not to go too up or too down but always try and keep that level if you go too far up you're going to crash and burn yeah there's a lot there yeah there's a lot there i really feel like um i don't know like like you said it is it's character building but maybe uh you're lucky in a way that you like you've needed these drugs to work like to, to help you get through work but you can also function as a as a human um because i think if you're a you're a hard out um alcoholic for example if you're a, if you're an alcoholic it's harder for you to drink alcohol and still go to work um, i think that's why maybe the opioid addiction is even more dangerous because it's kind of something that you can use as a crutch uh it's, it's mm. used as a crutch to work it's used it's you know you need working is making you money it's not like you're taking it sitting at home and playing video games um mm. so it's actually enhancing your ability to be financially and economically productive and that's sorry and active yeah and active and that's pretty scary as well and um so i was watching joe rogan today and he was was actually talking to a doctor about um the the big pharma companies and how they govern themselves and uh, it was incredible that the amount of autonomy that they have uh, because he was Mm -hmm. basically saying that the doctor was saying there's no um there's no empire there's no watchdog and the, the the companies are uh, they're doing their own um, their own testing, their own trials, mm. and they're releasing mm. the, that information to the public uh, mm. with, without anyone else overseeing it, and then that's being peer reviewed. So if that that information can yeah. be manipulated however they want, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's 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 a little bit um, I don't know, but like let's go back to the ethics of you know of you know of addiction because people feel like 
I feel like a lot of people think that drug addiction is very taboo. It's never going to happen to me. Um, yeah. I, I, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, I can't take drugs and be a good person. Um, where people don't realize that, you know, how, how quickly things can spiral. Um, mm. You know, you know, can you remember the point that you felt like you started to lose control? Yeah, I think that's a weird question. If it when the dealer get them calling up and offering more. <laughs> and then you couldn't yeah, say no, maybe. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Russell Brand talk about addiction and he says, you want to know if something's, uh, um, if you're addicted to something, try to stop doing it. And then if you can, mm. if you, if you can last, then, then great. Uh, then you, mm. if you can abstain, then you know that you're not addicted to it. But if you can't, well, then obviously. That's, a, that's a problem indicate. where I'm at because I did stop. I did stop. And then I didn't get back on it because I wanted to get high. I got back on it because I wanted to relieve pain. So it's this two-edged sword, you know. How do you feel about, how do you feel about addictions? Are they something that's a, a positive or negative force or are they, are they neither? Um, why do so many people think addictions are ultimately bad? Um, or is it just human nature and it's just our own biology? Is it, are we all just a little bit, mm. you know, messed up? I think we're all, we're all addicted to something, but um, it's a bit of a weird, you know, you know me, I'm kind of always in the middle. So play devil's advocate. Um, I say addiction's bad, but if you can control it, it's kind of, a, it's not too bad. It's kind of a positive, but I don't think the majority of people have the power to be able to control it. You know, they get stuck in it. They just get stuck in it for life. Like I know plenty of alcoholics that have been alcoholics for 40, 50 years and they can never stop it. So um, in my mind, there's always something in my head, which says what you're doing is going to kill you one day. So you better stop doing it before you get too old. And that's always a reminder. So I've, that's why I've quit in the past. Um, and that's why I'm at this kind of crossroads now where it's sort of like, I better change my careers because if I don't, then I can't get off this drug kind of thing. So addiction, I think it's almost a necessity in humanity. It's something which is somehow inbuilt genetically, but maybe, maybe you know, thousands of millions of years ago, there was a beneficial side to it. But today, with all the choices that we have and all the options, it's kind of become a negative, negative aspect. Yeah, I, I, I don't see drug addiction as something good or bad. I think it just, I see natural consequences. And um, I think that if people want to drink or, or take anything, it's kind of like you have to be aware. I think you should be aware of the, the natural consequences that well, come with that. You feel yeah. like you're, you're, you're being given something, but it's also taking something away. Right. And if you're like a, you know, a movie star or if you're a famous rock star and it's your lifestyle and it's, you know, if you're, you got lots of money and it's kind of like you don't have to work and you, you take drugs recreationally, um, you might be willing to, yeah. to, to make that deal and uh, have your mm. ups and downs and, and um, but have the highs that come with it that you're never, mm. like someone that doesn't take drugs is never, ever going to experience that. Um, yeah. And there is something very powerful as, as humans that we, we feel connected to that experience or that euphoria, euphoria is very, very um, hypnotic, uh, persuasive. It's very alluring to the human condition. Mm. So, you know, it's probably within our, our biology, biology, or maybe it's kind of like, maybe it could be uh, from a biological point of view, like it's, it's, we are wired to have pleasure and pain. Mm. And 
you know, we've got all these crazy substances now that our brains didn't have before, you know, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe we had them 500 years ago, but we didn't have, might not have had them, you know, 20,000 years well, ago. Well, even food is an aspect of it. You know, we're addicted to food. Absolutely. Like refined sugar. You need food. Absolutely. Well, need food. There was no refined sugar, like, you know, mm. 300 years ago, probably even yeah. like 150 years ago, no refined mm. sugars and salts like they are now. And, you know, why is a, a Big Mac so addictive? You know, it's got, it's high in the, the three things that are very, you know, rare in nature. That's mm. salts mm. and sugars. Like, um, so maybe it's just our biology as well, like that works kind of a, against us. And, you know, it's, but what think, scares me? Yeah. It's a, mm. you know, I think, I think that the individual has plays a big part in it. So I, I've been, I've been listening to the band Alice in Chains a fair bit recently. And it's famous that the, the one of the singers, Lane Stanley, he was a chronic heroin addict, and uh, he just couldn't stop. He he got to the part where his arm ended up being amputated. He ended up dying at 33. So another band member died of heroin heroin use too. But the main kind of songwriter, Jerry Cantrell, he opened up and he said, "Yeah, I've gone through drug abuse as well, and it was a hard time in my life. But I kind of realized that it was only you know drawing me down, and I realized." the most creative parts of my life was without drugs. You know, your mind kind of tricks you into thinking you need this thing, you need this drug to, to survive, to get through, or you're doing better work, you're being more creative. You kind of get fooled into thinking you're doing better or being more creative, but the reality is without it, you actually are more creative. It's The drug, it's this demon in the back of your soul which says, you need me, I'm doing you you know, good, I'm doing you benefit. So if you don't have me, you can't survive. And as the deeper you get into it, the stronger that voice gets. And until you can get rid of that fucking voice, that's when you kind of realize, you know, I was being tricked the whole time. So I think that happened to a lot of jazz musicians in, in like the, the 20s mm. or 30, or I think later on, um, that a lot mm. of guys were getting hooked on um, heroin because they felt like it was, mm. they needed it to be more creative and it ended up killing mm. a lot of those guys. Um, but I yeah, feel like, okay. you know, I've spoken okay. to you about this before is that, you know, it feels like with addiction, you know, like with my addiction to alcohol or just being a casual drinker or whatever, um, it's just your brain. And I was, I've mentioned this before is that, um, your brain seems to work against you. Like you mentioned mm. brain is, you know, it becomes the, the vehicle of your literally hide your senses, hijack your body. Also hijacks your brain and your thoughts and your better hijacks your behaviors. And then you feel good. Yeah. And it's your, your, your own brain um, finding excuses of ways to break you down and, um, mm. you know, looking for your weak spots. It's looking for, it's just ultimately it's excuses, right? Um, mm. You know, you need to drink because it's, you know, it's a birthday party. You're going to look silly. You're going to be insecure. It's going to be the last time, you know, casual drinking is okay. I don't want to cut this out. You know, That's it's a cultural it, thing too. Yeah. And then you've got, ex exactly. Then you've got culture working against you where um, you've got cultural programming and social conditioning also in your head telling you that that mm. behavior is totally okay. And um, it's all it's doing really is just creating an excuse. But I feel like that's what my brain does. I'm just like, when I hear my brain talk about alcohol, it just, just gives me excuses why I should do mm. what I said I shouldn't do. Um, again, that's very powerful that you, your body, like a virus hijacking your body, you know, these receptors hijack your brain and they try to, to, mm. to, to get you to do something that 
you said that you wouldn't do. Yeah. And you know that down the path, you're going to regret it. You're going to feel bad. You know, for you, for you with the drinking, two or three days later, you're going to feel like shit. For me, three or four weeks later, I'll feel like shit, but for twice as long. So it's, um, yeah, it's not and worth I, it. And that's, that's the other thing about opiates or whatever the hell, you know, any kind of opiates is you feel like you're more, more productive, but you're not. Like I've, I've been on jobs where I've taken them and it's taken me three or four times longer to do the job where you're, you're nonstop working and you feel like you're getting stuff done, but then you realize, hang on, it's fucking 1am in the morning. How the fuck can I be here this, this late kind of thing? So your mind's telling you, you're doing really well. You, you're getting shit done. But the reality is shit's going slower. You just, you, you're missing out on something. Time's going slow. Yeah. Yeah. That distortion of reality is something that really scares mm. me about drugs because I feel like you're confident. You're so confident, but it's manipulating what you really Yeah. Doing. And it's, it, it also makes me kind of a little bit insecure. Like if I was to, to drink, like when I used to drink sometimes thinking about, you know, I'm being really witty, I'm feeling really charming right now, yeah. you know, but am I, yeah. am I really in tune doing that or am I, but the reality am I, is, am I being if, a drug? If, there was, if there's a sober person in the room, they're going to be like, fuck, Steve is a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, exactly. I've done that a thousand so, times. I'd be in the only sober room in the, in the party and I'd be like, fuck, I just want to go home. All yeah, these fucking drunk fools. Fool. Have you, yeah, like that feeling is really weird. Like, I never felt that mm. until I worked at a bar. And I, you know, I worked at, um, at Colts Bar in Blacksland. And, you know, when, you, when you're just around a whole room of just intoxicated people and the way that mm. they're behaving and the slurring and the, and the you know, um, just the, the level of intoxication, what, what it's doing to people's brains, I just, mm. you know, it's very, very surreal. It's like, you're just, I don't know, it's, you're somewhere that you kind of shouldn't be. You're very out of place, for one, mm. not on the level, um, and you just feel like, I don't know, you just, you just feel like there's a lot of drunk, fucked up people, you know, and then you're, yes. yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that's kind of like um, dumbing you down. Um, mm. But what you said really rings true to me is like I've been sober now for basically a year and I've never felt better in the sense of like, mm. You know, I brain I being it. super sharp, super motivated, great mm. memory. Um, you know, just more motivated. Um, I think um, you a bit more integrity. Like alcohol, I feel like is just such a shitty drug. You know, mm. it's everywhere. Like it's in, it's it's just everywhere, and it's not like you know, alcohol is. You know, it feels good when you have that first two beers and you've got that nice beer buzz and you just put that mm. euphoria and you're connecting mm. and you still got your brain. Um, but it's just, it's a very, very thin line. It's very easy to just tip over into drunkenness. And then where you, you lose your ability um, to be concise and articulate and you start to say yeah. things that you shouldn't. And, um, you know, for me, my sobriety. Yeah. And for me, my sobriety has come at the right time because I don't think mm. I would have been ready to, uh, give up casual drinking, you know, in my twenties. Mm. Um, mm. I stopped drinking every weekend when I went to university. I was about 25, 26 years old from memory. I think even a bit, even a bit older. And I was like, I had to choose between drinking on the weekend and, you know, and then, you know, not being able to write essays and learn or stop drinking and, and uh, sit down over the weekend and, and study. That was the, mm. the choice that I had to make, but you kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. 
there is definitely a distortion of reality. Um, it definitely, I, I don't know. I think with with sobriety comes a lot of um, clarity, you know. And you you just don't have, you know, what you don't have, man. Like I don't have anymore is I don't have any escape. Like it's if my life is going badly, you know, I've got two choices. I've just got to suck it up or reframe it and still suck it up, you know, because there's no, oh, I've had enough of this situation. I'm going to go to Alan's house and have a few drinks and, you know, just blow off some steam. That option doesn't exist. So if you feel like shit, you got to just, you got to wear it and you got to, you got to work through those emotions. You got to be very aware of those emotions. And then you, you go to bed and you're exhausted and you wake up the next day and you rejuvenated, rejuvenated and you, um, you just give life another crack, but there's no escapism. But I think I find if, if you're an addict in any particular way, you'll find more problems in life than you normally would. If just say, you know, I've had a week on the oxys or whatever, then I'm withdrawing. It's like, shit, I need to go and hang out with someone to try and either get more or, you know, unload my problems onto someone else. Yeah, but if I'm always clear, clear-headed, that happens a lot less. You have a lot less kind of emotional problems. That's That sounds very true because, like, if you're mm. experiencing pain uh, from withdrawal, mm. if you're experiencing quite often. Uh, discomfort, if mm. you're experiencing uh, issues, you know, from your relationship, for example, financial pressure, you know, mm. all of those things. You know, it's, it's very easy to, to kind of, it's very easy to judge people with any kind of mm. addiction. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across Gabe Mate. He's a child psychologist. He deals a lot in addiction with children. He talks about people with, you know, young people that have grown up with any kind of, uh, any type of real trauma, like a parent dying, mm. uh, sexual mm. abuse, um, mm. real like hardship, poverty, um, mm. you know, the chances of them being, you know, he, to use his words, like a drug, uh, needle injecting drug addict is like a thousand times higher because they're, they've experienced uh, really painful lows. And then when they get the highs, it's doing, it's going, they're going way higher than what they normally would. And also it's just, it's escapism and it's um, a, a way of numbing themselves from the pain. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's, his thesis statement is why would you punish these people that have, and obviously I'm not putting yourself or, you know, in, in this category, like why would you Go punish ahead. people that, you know, you know that have, Go ahead. you know, these kind of addictions where mm. really they're, you know, they're already experiencing so much pain. Right, mm. and the pain of life, trauma of life, the, the pain of, um, and then they have to experience the pain of withdrawal. Uh, they're already being punished by the drugs. They haven't got mm. any choice. And then you're going to punish mm. them further by putting them in prison or, or you know, mm. exercising them, um, exiling them, you know, because they're they're not functioning within society. Like it's completely, mm. completely wrong the way that we status, look at status quo. It. Mm. Yeah, the way that a society looks at addiction, it's like, you know, it's it's to condemn these people that have an addiction. They can't, if you can function in society, if you can drink regularly, drink four nights a week or five nights a week or seven nights a week and function in society and you can do your job, nobody really wants to talk about that. You know, you're a, you're mm. a full-blown alcoholic, um, you know, but you can contribute. You know, you can contribute. You're, you're not hurting anyone. You're just hurting yourself. but the minute that you know you, you your mental health declines, you know people mm. have a big problem with that. That really makes people uncomfortable. Uh, you know this person mm. can't function anymore because they're a, you know a heroin junkie, um, but they don't look at why. 
then I look at, well, maybe that kid, you know, what's, what's going underneath that, you know, and they find out, you know, he's been sexually abused and have mm. never part, you know, moved through that trauma. So mm. I don't know. There's, there's, like you said, it's a case by case basis and um, mm. the, the taboo on addiction, I think, and conversations like this, you know, I think are useful to say that, you know, what's, who's it really affecting? How is it affecting people? How do people deal with it? And, um, you know, is it, is it good or bad? You know, like it is what it is. Yeah. I, I want to state that there is no good or bad kind of, unless you're harming someone that's bad, but everything else is kind of in the middle. It's kind of this intermediate kind of, we have to rationalize and sort of question why, why it's happening rather than just labeling it straight away. What do you mean by, what do you, what do you mean, what do you mean by good or bad? So, but what do you mean? Yeah, what about we, in a situation where I, and I like just to play devil with advocate, like what about if I'm heavily drinking and then um, I'm not hurting myself, I'm hurting myself, but at the same time, um, my family's getting upset because I'm, I'm spending a lot of money on drinking and I'm not, you know, spending time with the kids and, you know, I, I'm like less of myself, like a poor version of Steve um, mm. is, is, am I, am I, I'm hurting, I'm sort of, am I hurting my family indirectly? Is that, it's, is that even my issue or is that their expectation that, of how I that, should behave? Is that, any, is that any, any different to someone that wants to pursue a, a high performance job that works until midnight that doesn't spend time with their kids? Not really, no. So that person successful, the person that's on, on the news, it's up until midnight doing his broadcast and writing his reviews or his reports. He doesn't spend time with his kids. He, he's, he's a well-functioning member of society, but the person that comes home has a few beers and doesn't spend time with his kids, he's a low-life scumbag. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, can, I, can, I, can see, I can see the difference, but you know, they're both not spending time with their kids. So to me, I've got that kind of problem because I have a child myself and like, I don't want to do a job where I have to be out so late that I, I never see my children because I want to, I want to spend time with them and give them value and, and raise them as good at individual adults. But part of the drugs is a problem with that. So I've got to cut that out. But, um, you know, if, if I pursued a job where I was working until midnight every night, I, I couldn't spend time with them. Yeah, I guess the difference is, is like, you know, when you talk about those two scenarios is the expectations of the, of the family. So the, Maybe mm-hmm. the guy that's the business guy, the expectation is he's still making money, he's productive, uh, you know, it's, it's ethically, it's responsible. But ultimately, mm-hmm. the damage is still the same, right? The mm-hmm. damage and the neglect to the family is still the same. And, and again, maybe that's up to the individual to think about um, what is this, what is, you know, what does this decision mean to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and the concept of if I make this decision now, how is it going to affect the future me? I think a lot about that now. Like if I go to the gym, how is future Steve going to feel about that? If I don't go to the gym, you know, how is future Steve going to feel about that? You know, and well, to, to, me, to me, the biggest problem that I had, especially through drug taking or through any other thing is, I mean, having a son, I feel like my number one responsibility above all else is to spend time with him, raise him as an ethical, philosophical young man up until the point where he goes off on his own, eight or nine years old and do the best that I can until he decides to leave the nest, do whatever he wants to do. But as long as he's here under my control, I feel like I should, I should be the ethical, virtuous person who, who spends time with him and then teaches him right from wrong as best as I know. And as you know, I'm, I'm a very philosophical, ethical person who has issues, but I work through them. And hopefully, you know, I can teach my son, you know, 
uh, yeah to, so to i guess a, that to live a good life so that to, examine to, life to extrapolate that idea somewhat is so you're saying that if you can give your best to the people that you love and give your responsibilities to the people that you know, that you need to mm. do that with and i at really at some point and i've had this conversation with other people that I've, I've seen used illicit drugs and you know like if you're taking something outside of the workplace really is that anyone's concern you know it, mm. it's something that you're doing for you and it's it's, it's something that it's only really affecting you uh it's mm. only affecting anyone else and it's really weird too like we're in an age where we grew up when a lot of drugs were illegal and 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 taboo marijuana for example marijuana is very widely used in australia and, you know, mm. it's these drugs now becoming, you know, at least decriminalized, used as mm. herbal medicine, um, medicinal value, and, and also um, simply legalized. So, mm. you know, like th- this, this idea of what is taboo is a lot of times it's, it's cultural. Um, mm. And, mm. you know, like you hear people talk about different types of drugs. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, it's, it's drugs are used as political weapons as well. Like, mm. you know, like, Drugs have um, destroyed societies, and where does that come from? That's another question. Who's it impacted? You know, does it mm. work with governments? The governments really want to get rid of it. You know, mm. they know that legalizing it, for example, is a is one way of, or, or you know, investing money into programs. Like, how much of it of this complacency or, or this um, maintaining it as an illegal substance? You know, what is the underlying motivational reason for for keeping them taboo and illegal mm. you know like it seems to sometimes benefit the system especially when you have mm. some stuff like in the united states where prisons are um a privately owned organizations yeah, yeah, yeah. so i don't know it just begs the question is like you know a lot of these taboos are cultural because maybe glass of wine is okay but uh smoking marijuana is not okay you know, is there really that much difference? Um, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say if, a go- if, if a government could regulate opioids better, like as I said, I've got back pain, let me go to the pharmacist, get one pill. That would be cool. But if I go to the pharmacist and get 20 pills, I'll take them all in a day or two days kind of thing. So that's the problem. On that note, I'm not the kind of addict that wants to go into oblivion. I won't, I, I just orally eat my drugs but I won't take enough where I'm passed out on the couch, fucking half ODing, growling, all that kind of crap. I'm, I'm more fucking upbeat. You'll think I'm, a, I'm on the ball kind of thing. So I take a couple. I feel like I'm a bit more on the ball, but there's the people that can't handle it. And as you said, who have had um, salient, you know, uh, problems in their lives, which have caused harm, emotional, you know, neglect or abuse, and they just want to escape. I'm not taking it to escape. I'm taking it to enjoy the world more. But these people who take it to escape, you know, pass out lines, OD or whatever the hell they do, I'm on a different level for that. So it's everyone's a little bit different. So I want to say drugs are bad because there's too many people out there that can't handle it. It's, it's the old Bill Hicks thing, you know. Bill Hicks would say something like, you know, drugs aren't bad. It's the, the fuckwits out there that don't know how to use them properly or the fuckwits out there that, you know, take too much or OD or go into oblivion, which make, which fuck it up for the rest of us. You know, some of us are responsible. Some of us could handle it and get through the day. Other people, you know, they just want to kill themselves on it. So it's a bit uh, of- I remember this conversation 
when I was about 15 years old and I, I said to a friend of mine, like, why did, why did there have to be laws that are just so restrictive? And a friend of mine who was very astute, very, very intelligent, he said to me at the time, he's like, Steve, the way the law works is that it always has to cater for the, the, the lowest common denominator. You know, mm, it doesn't. I agree. Yeah, I it doesn't make any exceptions, or mm. um, doesn't make any uh, consideration for the critical thinker. It's just like, well, mm. this is a bad substance. We're gonna. This is this is hurting people. So no one can use. You know, if, if these people can't use it responsibility, you know, nobody can use it responsibly. So, statistically, just, statistically, forty percent of people OD. So we better get rid of this shit. Yeah, and even if it's like one mm. percent of people. Right, that would probably be mm. enough, you know, like if it's mm. probably enough to, to create a law that mm. people are going to mm. stop it from being um, legalized, you know. So mm. it's, it's unfortunately, there is no differentiation between someone like yourself that mm. would mm. want to use, you know, and recreational drugs as well, like MDMA. Um, young kids are still going to use these drugs. Like mm. the young kids are going to go to raves, they're going to go to parties, they're going to, you know, I've, I've been to some places. God knows, God knows it's mixed in those things, battery acid or whatever the hell they put in them. Exactly. And kids don't have the opportunity to test them, to know if they're safe. Like I remember when I was um, in Quakers Hill, you know, I had some friends that, that were a little bit shady, good people, you know. Um, and I remember a friend of a friend, he sold some ecstasy pills at a party like that he got from someone else. He wasn't distributing. The, he wasn't... Um, mm fabricating these things and he was just mm. he was just he had some and he was selling them uh like he probably bought 10 and he was selling five to make his money back kind of thing mm. one of the, mm. the girls that he sold it to she died and um Holy shit. yeah he went to prison for about he, he went to prison for about five years five or seven years and he was right he was 20 years old like mm. you know he's he sold a pill that was meant to make a young lady feel good you know mm. she had a Every reaction time. to it she died you know, because there was no way she could test that drug, and then One his life is completely screwed. Yeah, mm. there was no, there's no malicious intent, you know, intent from his behalf to, to you know, like, and I've spoken to him. That that wrecked his life. You know, like, mm. in lots of ways, it would have wrecked his life, or at least, at least hindered lots of opportunities and taken that Stay time away back. from you. Know, taken mm. that time away from, not to mention the pain and suffering um, that young girl's family. You know, they've lost mm. their daughter. You know, forever on his conscience as well. Absolutely. You know, he didn't want, he didn't want to, and, that, and that's just horrible. Like, mm. so I don't know. I feel like addiction is definitely it's something that we need to really make aware, you know, educate people, educate mm. young people to say, well, if you do this, um, these are the possible uh, outcomes, and be aware of you know what you could possibly. Um, yeah. What, what could possibly happen to you and, and try mm. to avoid the pitfalls, right? And we should be educating so, young people. So I've been reading a lot of Socrates recently and I'm not too keen on all his, all his ethics or his philosophies, but he's kind of saying, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's kind of like the wise, the intelligent, the virtuous man kind of um, has this information in his head to, to sort of say he knows what's going to happen in the future. You need to be able to project what the future is going to, you know, pertain if you take this course of action. And we always have to sort of question what we're going to do. And most of us kind of do understand that by doing drug, drug, drug addiction, as we're talking about, taking drugs is going to lead to a slippery slope. And 
personally, as someone who's experienced it and is still, exper- still experiencing, I would avo- I would totally avoid it. If you want to get high or fucking feel good, go for a run, go enjoy nature, um, become an artist or do something like that. Uh, be spiritual, meditate, do something like that because the artificial drugs are artificial and they only last for a, a minimal amount of time and then you have to go out and buy more and they're going to de- deplete your income, they're, they're going to deplete your bank account, you're going to lose your house, you're going to lose whatever the hell you, you've worked for and you're going to withdraw, you're going to feel like shit and it's not going to be worth it. So um, as again, my my excuse on that one is my, my pain. So I'll always have this nagging sort of pain in my back saying, if I go back to work tomorrow, I'm going to need to get some painkillers. So I think the, the government also needs to sort of step in. And instead of, you know, this whole OxyContin thing's become a demon, you know, they won't sell OxyContin to anyone because it's such, uh, it's, it's like heroin. It's pretty much hillbilly heroin. And literally all it does is it just puts you in a stupor. You just, you just kind of like in this kind of hazy kind of world where you think you're a genius and you know what's going on. But I think, the government shouldn't just do this whole, we'll sell it to everyone, we'll cut it off. They should find this middle ground where, as I said, if I've got a real problem with, with pain, here's, here's a, a prescription for one pill. Every day you go in and you get that one pill. We'll watch you take that and then you can go. And I think that that, that makes sense to me. So like a case-by-case case basis? Case-by-case. Case. We'll, we'll, we'll try that for two weeks and then you come back and if you're not feeling better, we'll try something else. Makes sense. But there, there definitely, there definitely is harm in it. I guarantee. Like, I'm not very savvy. I'm not very educated on the whole topic. But uh, individually, I, I do understand what it does to people, and it is a big problem. I would steer anyone well and truly clear of it. Wow, that's some great insight there, and I'm glad you mm. shared that point. You know, that perspective. I think you made some great mm. points. Um, and another thing that you touched on too that really kind of pisses me off is that there's not a lot of education for young people or even adults to, to say if you want to get high, you know, how can we use our physiology in a way that's positive? You mm. know, like how can we be more mm. altruistic? Like the, 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 the art of giving is, is feels good. You know, oh, that's definitely. like, you know, definitely. like that, you know, that human connection, um, mm. oxytocin, um, you know, like you said, exercise, but like, the quality of our relationships, um, meaning and purpose and um, the quality of our, even our conversations, you know, how do we stimulate, you know, a lot of us are just looking for, you know, a lot of young people are looking for stimulation. They're looking to experiment. They're looking to be adventurous. You know, it's part of our brains to experience. That was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to break away from the nest, to be ultimately be more adventurous. And then the chance of us being, um, be able to spread our genes and intermingle with different mm. people, then obviously it becomes a lot higher. It's just, it's just not there in society. Like it's, it's kind of like the real wisdom that you speak of is not there at mm. the moment. And I, I feel like. Please. So, so I, I remember talking to you through the WhatsApp messages and I remember saying to you, uh, do you actually feel good off drugs? Cause I was a drawing and I was the lowest of the lowest and I was feeling like shit. I'm like, I'm never going to get off this. I'm never going to feel better. And I said to you, do you feel, feel good off drugs? And you said, man, I feel fucking great. And I knew you were going to say that. I knew it was true. But my mind, the drugs were there. The, the withdrawals were saying, you're never going to feel good again. And then I remember within a week or two, after those two weeks, I'm back again. I'm like, Steve-o, Steve-o, I feel better than ever. I've never felt this good in my life. You know, My mind was tricking me. My mind was telling me, without the drugs, I cannot survive. But as soon as I got through that withdrawal period, 
my mind was back and I realized I'm better, you know, I'm, I'm as good, if not better, without the drugs than I was with them. There's something about being on the drugs which just, just lies to you, manipulates you and, you know, tries to keep you on them. It's like capitalism, you know. You gotta, you gotta have the latest, greatest kind of thing. You've always gotta be on it. You've always gotta be on that fucking treadmill. Yeah, and I believe that's your brain again manipulating you to kind of for, perpetuate the addiction. Um, mm. Like I've heard some crazy stuff about if you get rabies, they sort of hijacks your your body, or you know, and you become scared of water. I think because um, yeah, yeah, hydrophobia. Yeah, exactly. Have something mm. to do because it can kill the, the virus. Maybe. Yeah, or even that. just. Yeah. Even think I'm not sure if that's true, but like I'll go with when a mm. virus takes over your body, you know, we start, yeah, we start, mm. yeah, we start sneezing, we start coughing, and that's your body uh, hijacking the physical mm. components of your body to try to spread the virus. Because if you sneeze, mm. particles mm. obviously kind of contain yeah, to other yeah, people, yeah. right? So, um, but yeah, like I don't know. I, I guess as a as a preface to that, do you feel good? Like, do I feel good? Yes, definitely feel good being sober. Uh, in sobriety, but it's also something you have to work at, like too, like you have mm. to work at your mental state. You have to work at doing exercising consistently, um, eating balanced diet. Uh, so eating well, creating yeah, obligations like, to yourself, like, being gracious. Exactly. So people aren't going to stop drinking or, or um, you know, live live a life of sobriety and then obviously feel fantastic. You have to also plan, um, condition yourself invest in mm. yourself you also have to um be really calculated in how you want your body and your brain to to respond and i think a lot I of think, it comes from your mental health i think a big problem today is the the problem with the capitalistic uh individualistic mentality of, of society we're all meant to think that we're the most important things that there is always think about the individual but the reality is we are just one part of a community and we must play a part in that community. So once we you know, play a bigger part in that community, we have a greater obligation and responsibility, which gives us meaning and, and more depth and uh, purpose kind of thing. And that, you know, keeps you going. Yeah. And that's beautifully said. Um, and let me ask you this, like, I feel like is capitalism, is consumerism, is, is that in itself another type of addiction? hundred percent. I think we've gone way too far. As, as I said to you before, I'm lucky in Australia where we've got the capitalist structure, but with the socialist backbone. So as I've wanted to say before, as like in America, why are there so many homeless? You know, they're the first world country. How can there be so many homeless? You come into Australia, I feel like I'm in heaven, you know, no matter what I want, you know, even if I'm so pitifully, you know, withdrawing from drugs, I can go get help for free, you know, rehab centers and stuff like that. It's all free. Everything's fucking free. But, um, Losing my train of thought. What were you saying? Capitalism. Yeah, uh, consumerism I think, I think, being an, I think, an addiction. I think I think we need to move further away from capitalism. Maybe not closer to socialism, but we need to find like a third thing, a third part. We need to have a you know a, a, a poly, a pluralistic kind of society, political structure, which adds more kind of beneficial structures to help us get through things. Because I look at my wife, I look at my child, and everything's about buying shit every day. Everything's, I want something new, I want something new, I want something new. And that's no different to what I'm going through, you know. It's, it's worse, pretty much, because I just want the one fucking thing. But for them, it's for something new. The, 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 the most, I bought $200 toy the other day, you use it once, and you want something new. That's not good enough. It's like, 
fucking great, you know. Yeah, and even those headphones that you're wearing now, you said that your your wife just bought them because they she bought she bought me four hundred dollar headphones. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but I don't want them. It, it feels like this insatiable desire to just obtain more. Um, the next and it's thing. Kind of, yeah, and it, it's, it's, it definitely feels like a psychological addiction of, you know, it's buying something. Um, and, I, you know, talk, there's Robert Sapowski. He's a fantastic um, educator. And he talks a lot about the brain and the, the brain mm. and psychologies. He's got a ton of qualifications. And he, what I, what I love when he talks about... Um, the power of anticipation, you know? So when you're, when you're buying something and you're like, you're like, Oh, you're looking at it and you're yeah. thinking about how cool it's going to be and how it's going to yeah. fit and you know what you, how you're going to feel. And then you know, <laughs> you, you know, you're clicking on it, you're looking at it and you, you buy it. It's like, yes, there is a lot of things happening there at a physiological level and mm. a psychological level that are triggering all those pleasure senses in your brain. Mm. Um, and it just, we get, a, we get a buzz out of it. We get it, you know, and we, want to do it again and again and again and it's uh, but, but but for me when i get it i'm like is that all it is i'm like fuck did, did i waste all that time that energy that money just for this piece of shit throw it out the fucking window that's how i see it so my example you're saying is, that you have the buyer's remorse and you feel discontented always you. every time every time i always have that drive of i want something i want to buy it i go through the study the research find what i want to buy i fork out the money and as soon as i get it i'm like why did I want that? Why did I bother even going for it? So my example is, you know, uh, I like to play guitar. I like philosophy. So, you know, I'll buy a guitar worth $1,000 or something, but I will play that for the next 10 years every day for the next 10 years. And I won't change that up until I realize maybe it's time for the next best guitar. But I kind of, you know, I've proven to myself that I'm going to use this enough to go to the next level i'm not just buying for the capitalistic greed of wanting something more I, it's just this weird abstract concept that we need something new we need something more and my point there is i'm not working on the guitar i'm working on myself i'm working on my own cognitive ability i'm trying to, to find something new for my brain so it's always trying to educate myself and that's the difference people are trying to find fulfillment from external things and i'm trying to find fulfillment from internal things academic intellectual did was it you that mentioned to me recently the like the cost use ratio was that you that was talking talking about if you buy something and you use it um lots of times various times yes 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 then yes. It, it becomes more um the, the purchase becomes more justified i think it was a telescope yeah. example that you so so my my example would be if you really want to do something go and buy the cheapest form of that object that you want to use and then if you find that you use it enough every day for the next six months, then you have the right to go and buy the next one, the, the, the more expensive one. And yeah. then again, you know, you keep on working your way up. But it's like I remember before there was the internet, I'd go to the bookshop and I'd buy 20 books and I, I'd, I'd read one of them, you know. Mm. It's just like, what a waste of time, what a waste of money, you know. I remember it's that capitalist thing. Talking about a guitar example, I've got a friend um, and he always had – like shit guitars <laughs> you know, when he was like 20 years old. But mm. um, he was an amazing guitar player, you know, and he learned on these things. And then when he was ready, like when he could afford it, he finally got better guitars. But having a crappy guitars did not stop him from becoming a, a fantastic mm. musician. Um, mm. I think that's a great, you know, that's a, it's a, that's a pretty, I don't know, a wise strategy. Like if you're going to buy something, regardless of the cost, 
if you're using it frequently and it's giving you, it's adding value, improving the quality of your life, um, it's bringing you pleasure, then why shouldn't you buy it? You know, if you're using it, mm-hmm. you know, if you're buying it for a, looking for external validation or um, so you think it's going to give you pleasure and it ultimately doesn't, then mm. maybe you should think twice before clicking that button, parting with your money. If you if you want to go back to the original topic, we can reverse that when it comes to drug taking because I'm constantly going out there trying to buy drugs, you know, always trying to, to get the next best high. So I should sort of realize that it isn't really doing what I need it to do. It's not benefiting my you know, mental, uh, you know, faculties or my academic achievements it's it's lying to me it's telling me that i'm learning so much more but it's really keeping me in a stupor but it's keeping that capitalistic idea of i want more 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 you know yeah. i'm not really feeding my brain i'm i'm feeding euphoria it's a bit of a different thing yeah but, it's, it, it becomes like you said i guess the connection there it's that they're both insatiable like they both become this perennial mm, addiction mm. and you, you um i guess a lot of everyday people are addicted to consumerism without being aware of it. You know, just when you have an addiction like drug taking, it becomes a lot more mm. evident. Uh, it's it's mm. a lot more um, in your face, let's say. So mm. yeah, it's, it's kind of insatiable, right? Where it's just, it's in, when does it end? Like, you know, what's, I guess, what's the next step? Like, you know, so we know it's an you know, insatiable. Yeah. So what's the next step for you? Like, how can you, where do you go from here? Like, do you have to go through the process of, of quitting uh, drugs and then going through the, the lows and then trying to just, what, what do you have to do? Do you have to not work in that trade? Um, mm, what do you need your head to be at? For this. That's the only way I can get through this. As I said, this is day three withdrawals. And um, probably because this is, I have to be responsible in front of you and whoever the fuck's listening right now. So I'm, I'm on, on my high game as I can be right now. But um, I reckon as soon as we hang up this podcast, I might yeah, have a little breakdown. Um, the, the, the real, the real only way I can get over my habit is to quit my job and get a job where I'm not physically killing myself every day just to, just to get paid. I make good money doing what I do, but the physical damage that I do in the process isn't worth it. Um, it'll always drive me back to go and get more painkillers. So, and another example, which you kind of brought up then is like, we can change any behavior. Everything's psychological, you know. As I said, I'm a vegan, and it took me it took me a good four or five years to sort of get to that point. And everyone that I meet on the street, they look at me and they go, "You're a vegan," and they get all offended. They sort of question me why. They sort of judge my 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 reasons, my purposes. Why why is it so bad to eat animals and things like that? It's it's like they cannot see how I could have changed my life and. You know, I, there's no way now that I could ever eat meat again. I could not go anywhere near it. I can't eat eggs, milk, anything from an animal product. So it's just it's just a matter of uh, finding out who you are, what you want to become, and committing to it, and then just doing that step by step kind of program. You might, you know, take two steps back, one step forward, but eventually you will get there. And I think if you have uh, the perseverance and the philosophical mind to question yourself at every moment to sort of say, you know, you know, you're justifying something, but then you also give it the devil's advocate and sort of say, no, hang on, that's wrong. You will always find a path and hopefully you'll find the the correct answer. Yeah. I was reading a bit of James Clear's um, atomic, what's it called? Atomic habits. And he talks about Mm. um, when you're reinventing yourself is that part of being able to 
create a new identity and the psychology around that identity. So if you want to get mm. fit, you know, don't think about the end product of uh, getting yeah, fit. Yeah, yeah. You know, think Just about, okay, I want to be an athlete or I want to be, you know, I'm, I'm going for a run, but I, you know, I want to be fit, but I, I'm now a runner. And what do runners mm. do? How do runners behave? Mm. You know, and if, if you're getting out of that world of, you know, working out of that trade and then that mm. it's, 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 it's to me like the, something that's run parallel with drugs is gym culture and drugs. Once you've taken mm. steroids and gone to the gym on the regular and you've worked out with steroids, it's very hard if you're a regular user of steroids and, and all sorts of, mm. Uh, mm. you know, training enhancing drugs, it's very hard to completely stop doing that and then just train mm. naturally again because you've entered that world. You've kind of got to like, flip it on its head and yeah, yeah, change the whole psychology of what it means to go mm. to the gym. And it's, it's, is it mm. about the, the physique and the gains and the looks, the aesthetics, or is it about, you know, long-term sustainability and health? Um, mm. So the, the psychology around it's, it. it's always about long-term stability and health. And that's what we should always be concerned about. That's why I know that drug dating is a negative thing. Yeah. I know I, I can cope with it. I know I can cope with it for now, but I know in the long run, it's going to do me damage. Like you said, you met this guy the other day in his 60s and he had a, had a pacemaker. You know, I always keep these things in mind. I meet these old people that have all these ailments and, and maladies. And I'm sort of like, if I keep on going on the way I'm going now, I'm going to be exactly like you if I even make it, you know. So my, my constant awareness is like, get as healthy as I can, as quick as I can, so I can maybe, you know, live a long, fulfilling life with, with uh, you know, a mental capacity, mental you know, faculties. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like the, so the, the psychology around that is really important. Like, am I a drug taker or am I not a drug taker or mm. can I indulge or do I not indulge? And what does that mm. mean for my identity and my belief about the world and who I am as an individual and, um, and all of that linked together? Because, you know, it's kind of like for, for me, to be honest, that if, you know, if I was to give you my opinion, if, if you're going to, if you're basically going to stop taking these type of drugs is that you need to reinvent yourself um, because if mm. your identity is I'm a carpet layer, I need these drugs to function. Um, but also they bring me pleasure. You know, yeah. it's be very hard for you to, to, um, to recalibrate. Outfit. Yeah. To recalibrate without totally removing yourself from that situation and being mm. in, a, in a situation where you can get paid to um, use your academic abilities and to think mm. or to speak and uh, to operate on that level. And to operate on a different level and then recalibrate who you are as an individual. Mm. Just to justify my, myself through this podcast is you, you can ex- explain to whoever the hell is listening. I'm not like a low class junkie who's out in the street with a syringe in my arm. I'm, I'm a highly active, responsible individual who, you know, does my duty in society, you know? Right. You've you had yeah. held down a full-time would, job. Would, uh, would you what, agree with that? Years? Yeah, like I, I, work, I work harder than anyone else I fucking know, you know. It's like right. So you you've been what you're working full time, subcontracting for over, over a decade, fifteen years now. I go to battle every day to do my job, and I've never had a day off sick. I come home, I look after my family, I pay my mortgage. I um on my worst of worst of worst fucking days, I still go out there and I play with my kid. You know, my withdrawals when I just want to fucking pass out. I'm still out there playing with my son. I make sure my wife's there because I know I'm not in the right state of mind, but. You know, I'm passive. I never get aggressive. I feel ethically I'm a responsible person. This is just one, I'm going to call it an illness. This one illness has kind of captured my life. And it's something which, um, as you said, I have to change my lifestyle, quit my job, find another way of making an income. And that's probably 
where it comes from from there. Yeah, mm. I, I wonder as well, like in the sense of sometimes addictions and, and being able to fully overcome addictions. Like I know some of the young people that I've spoken with, you know, the, the shady people that I mentioned when I was, you know, 18 to 21, when I was hanging out with these people, they still talk about having to fight with their addictions every day. And they're like almost 40 years old as well. Um, I, 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 had, I had four or five months off and I really didn't feel the call. I didn't feel the call. I didn't feel the call until I hurt myself. As I said, this roller car, but I lifted up. I went, I can't lift that, but I had to lift it anyway. And then after that, I went to the doctor. I told them how much pain I was in. They said, we can't do anything for you. So then, fuck it, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to the old dealer. Yeah. I got to the point where, I, I don't know if it's my philosophical, I think I'm a little bit ignorant and a little bit stupid where I can't think of the past. You know, my mind is kind of trapped here. I don't remember the past too well. I don't think of the future too much. So I'm kind of here and now, and I kind of appreciate what I've got. And um, for those four or five months, I really didn't think about it at all. It wasn't until something come up where it's like, I, there's nothing I can do. I have to go and do this to resolve my problem. And yeah, I so knew maybe, was, hmm. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say maybe that you don't have a, your trigger mechanism is not, I'm bored, I need to get high. The trigger mechanism mm. is that I need to work and function and yes, I'm going to get some pleasure out of this. And yes, I know I'm going to abuse it. Uh, but at the same time, yes, I need to make some money. And yes, I need to be able to function and do my job. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's twofold. It's twofold. Yeah. I can't, I kind of convince myself oh, I'll only take enough just to, to cure the pain. But as soon as I do that, I'm like, oh, just two more. Oh, just two more. Oh, just two more. Oh, they're all gone. Shit. You yeah. know, withdrawals. That, that's when the pain comes on. Mm. Interesting. Well, I feel like we should probably wrap it up soon because if we have listeners, I don't know if we're going to have listeners, maybe none of our people will actually give a shit about anything we say, but if we have listeners, I think we're getting to an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. So, um, good. But yeah, but I feel like we've, we've really gone over and touched over like some of the ideas of addiction um, and the psychology of addiction and about of, of my particular addiction anyway. Yeah, and that's like the, the, the objective of this podcast you know, and, and for the podcast generally, right, the examined life is to look at, look at lives under the, with a little bit of scrutiny with, and especially our own, right, and to say mm-hmm. this is our life, this is how we feel about stuff and think about, you know, think about the things that hold us back. Like for me, I want to think about the things that hold me back as an individual mm. and think about the things that, that I can break from. Yeah, that, that, that yeah. I need to 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 grow from i need to mm. to either surpass or mature through or what i need to process um and i need to look at all the the, the cultural the social conditioning the psychological conditioning that i've you know incurred myself um, my biological conditioning and then figure out how uh am i going to deal with this right mm. because um without the ability to kind of let's say examine ourselves or put ourselves under a lens, then how are we going to do better? And mm. I feel like wisdom is really such a, a rare commodity. And I feel like a lot of people are starving for it. Um, mm. Young people, I know I was starving for it growing up. Um, so I feel like, you know, your experiences sharing about your addiction has been very powerful, even for me listening to them. Um, Cause it gives me some great insight about uh, what you're going through and how you can, like either tackle in you know in front some of this stuff and and process your own stuff to to I guess eventually move out of your addiction. Would that be a fair mm. call? 
Mm, well, well, manage my, it. My, de- my definite um, end goal is to get out of it in the very near future, but hey, that's just the goal. So I guarantee it's going to happen. But it's definitely, it's always in the back of my head. It always has been throughout my whole life. It's always, my whole life has always been live, you know, eat clean, be an ethical person, be good to people kind of thing. And I understand that drugs is a negative thing, but I somehow always sort of get trapped into them a little bit. So, yeah, the older I get, hopefully I get a bit wiser. As I said, I've been reading Socrates and sort of Socrates, the way he sort of talks is he's kind of putting down my mindset as being a very unwise, unrational, you know, unknowledgeable person. And I'm like, yeah, fuck you, you know, like, okay, well, I better work on myself a bit harder. That's just giving me more, more drive to, to do a bit better, you know? Yeah. And I, should sometimes- have, I should have the knowledge to, to know that by doing this, I'm only going to cause more suffering. Right. And sometimes it's kind of like, it's, it's collateral damage. It's just us as humans is mm. that we know that we get ourselves into shitty situations and it's not always fixable. And sometimes we mm. pay the price and it's sometimes it's too late, but mm. at the very least, at least we try to be aware of the decisions that we make and be responsible. Like you said, be ethical, have a strong ethical compass. And, um, and I guess even through the mistakes, the pain and the suffering, we still grow, even if we're not the perfect mm. version of, of ourselves. Mm. So mm. I think that's, I don't know. I don't think there's anything. I mean, that's the, that's the, the best case scenario, like dealing with tough situations, because as we've spoken about a lot of times that life isn't always pretty, it's not always pretty mm. and shiny and it's not always what you expect. And you don't always get what you know, you, you want when you're a 10 year old kid, you say, Oh, that's mommy, good. daddy, I want to be this. I'm going to get married and have three kids. You're going to have a boat and a house and a white picket fence. And, mm. you know, I'm going to be able to make this much money and, it's just an illusion, right? The life is mm. a lot more, there's a lot more grime and grit that comes with life mm. than that. So, mm. um, well, Alan, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for being no, so man. honest. I really appreciate it. And um, yep. hopefully some of our list- listeners can get some benefit out of this. Hopefully. It should be good. Get some feedback and go from there. I don't think I've um, even scratched the surface of, my topic yet so maybe we can talk about it in in future podcasts hopefully next time i could be completely sober or maybe i'll come a bit off my head and we'll see what the difference is (laughs) (laughs) well yeah sounds good